Hey, Jake, I like video games. Well, hey, Tony, I like video games, too. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new spooky episode of Hey, I Like That Game. (laughs) (laughs) And your dog, too. No, I got the laugh, but I don't got the voice. I am very (laughs) concerned for my pretties right now. (laughs) That's what she says, right? I'll get you my pretties? I don't know. I... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's been a bit since I've seen Wizard of Oz, but... But speaking of movies, spooky movies, Jake, I don't know. <laughs> are what I've been watching recently, which <laughs> reminds me of spooky games, which brings us to games, which brings us to games that you've maybe been playing, Tony? <laughs> so I've been playing a couple of games uh, lately. <laughs> uh, the first one I want to talk about is... I actually want to revisit something we talked about on the podcast, like probably months and months ago now, maybe even a year ago. Uh, Gloomhaven. So I've played the fist. I've played the physical board game quite a bit. I absolutely love that game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I heard. I I early access backed uh, the Gloomhaven like digital version of the game that they made, like an you know, official kind of Gloomhaven uh, digital version. Played it, you know, long time ago. Now uh, I, I really didn't like it. I thought. Uh, I thought it didn't transition well. It didn't flow well. Like I, I hmm. had a lot of issues with it. Um, it just came out on 1.0, and it's really good. It's like very good to the point where it's like highly recommend anybody who's ever been interested in Gloomhaven like buy this game because you get a very, very authentic experience out of it. But you take all the tedious shit out, like setting up the board and dropping all the pieces and stuff. All of that stuff is is automated mm-hmm. for you, which is so great. But it still maintains all the elements that that makes it feel like the board game, like the playing of the cards, um, the random encounters that happen. You know, all of that stuff is there. Uh, how you unlock characters, all that stuff works the exact same way as the board game, uh, which is great. And like the online multiplayer works like fairly well too. So it's. It's really neat. I, I anybody who's ever uh, had interest in playing the game Gloomhaven, I, it's a hundred percent a recommend recommend for me to pick up this uh, digital version that's on Steam. Uh, so I've been playing a bit of that. Uh, Jake, you never played Gloomhaven, right? You never got into that. No, no, that's one I never not never came across. Yeah, it's a it's a dope little. Um, it's like a Dungeons and Dragons esque board game, but it's really. Like a like a tactical combat game that has you know randomized story events and like tons of uh, world building and stuff in it. It's like a long term campaign legacy game, you know. Uh, but very cool game. Like I like when board games mm-hmm. are well translated to mm-hmm. video games because there's a lot of convenience there that is in a video game and just like being able to play against ai is like nice because you love playing with friends of course but like sometimes you just want to play the game but you don't have the people and you don't want to like play all the parts by yourself so yeah that's like that would be probably the way i would get into gloomhaven would be like that video game version first like if it is something like i'm curious about Yeah, I definitely uh, I recommend recommend. I think it's like maybe like 25, 30 bucks, something like that right now on Steam, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, a bargain at that price. I mean, like the, the, the physical version of Gloomhaven is um, is like 100, 100 bucks, 150, 200, something like that. Um, and this I just checked. It's thirty five dollars on Steam right now. So for 
just looking at the cost difference, you know, like it's uh, totally worth it. Totally worth it. It's it's uh, it's fantastic. So uh, Gloomhaven on Steam. Check that out. Uh, the other smaller game that I've been playing uh, lately is this thing called Obsidian Prince. This one's in early access as well. Um, it's reminding me a lot of that game Crown Trick that I talked about on the show uh, a couple yeah. a couple episodes back. You know, the, the kind of um, Crypt of the Necros dancer style uh, movement and combat where when you move, everything else moves, uh, you know, without the rhythm game part, obviously. Um, <laughs> it's... It's a neat little game. Like, I, I don't know. It's not uh, super complicated or anything, but it's basically like procedurally generated little puzzles, basically. You know, you're doing these um, these strategic combats, but like really it's just like kind of a puzzle, like trying to juke out the, the pieces to move into where you want so you can, you know, take them um, and stuff. And, and it's like... There's like a, a deck building element to it as well. There's also like gear and stuff you can buy to kind of augment uh, the the abilities that your guy has. There's a bunch of different playable classes in there. So uh, every time you start like a new run of like the roguelike mode, uh, you mm-hmm. can play a different class or something and try something different. Uh, there's a campaign that's in there as well. That's a little, I feel like that needs a little bit of work and that's probably where like the, the early access stuff will come in, you know, that will get better and better over time. But like the core gameplay loop, you know, the, uh, the vertical slice that like, you know, uh, could convince you to get in early on a game. Like, I think this game has it at least like for the, uh, type of stuff that I like to play. Um, I'm curious to see um, kind of where this game goes over time. But even like I think I got it for like five dollars on early access. So like even for that, um, it's it's a good little game. Uh, so that, that one's called Obsidian mm-hmm. Prince. Uh, but the last game I want to talk about is a, is a little bit bigger. Uh, it's a game called Age of Empires 4. Uh, so Ooh, that, that's a little bit bigger. It's a little bit bigger. Uh, yeah, it came out uh, this week. Really excited. Uh, I worked on this game for uh, quite a bit of time. I'm, I'm really proud of where this game ended up. And uh, the reception has been great. You know, reviews have been fantastic. I've, I've watched a lot of people stream and play the game and you know, really, really enjoy it. You know, seeing a bunch of my friends loading up this game and playing it on Steam. Like, it's, it's so cool to watch. It's so cool to watch. Um, and the game's really good, you know, like in that maybe some bias because, you know, I worked on it. But um, I think this game does a really good job of introducing the genre to people uh, and showing you the fun right away. Um, now, RTSs are uh, notoriously, you know, high, high uh, learning curve, right? Like you and like the the skill floor is really high, too. Uh, you ha- like you have to kind of hit a bare minimum of like execution type stuff to even be mm-hmm. somewhat competitive in like an online multiplayer game, right? Or even against like you know more skilled AI. Uh, but right. But the game does a really good job of teaching. We you know there's a lot of tutorialization in the game, uh, whether that's like the very first mission that you play when you boot the game up. Uh, or the Art of War missions, or really a lot of the stuff that happens in the campaign is meant to like teach you strategies to bring to bring online or against AI uh, opponents. Uh, it's it's really good. It's a really fantastic RTS. If you're familiar with Age of Empires 2 at all, you'll feel right at home here. Um, what one of the better comparisons or, or better thoughts I was having about uh, this game 
you know, talking to people during launch is that like this game feels like a um, it, it feels like a true sequel in that mechanics that you had, uh, you know, skills that you have honed over time playing, you know, any of the Age of Empires games, they transition very well to this game. It's not like mm-hmm. um, yeah. other entries in the series that um, really shake a lot of the fundamentals of what it is. Um, this game does feel a lot like Age 2, but there are so many changes that make it feel different where it's kind of like the difference between like a Street Fighter 2 and like a Street Fighter 4 or 3 or something like that where there these are all very good com- like competent fighting games and somebody who's really good at Street Fighter in general can be very good at any of those iterations of the game but in between they have just some distinguishing features that are um sometimes good sometimes bad a lot of people look at uh, age of empires 3 and not like the deviations from the formula that that game had um whereas age 4 kind of sticks with some of the foundational stuff that's in age 2 but then goes really in a totally different direction when it comes to the the civilization designs where they're all drastically different from one another you know in terms of absolutely like that's it's super cool right that's the coolest thing uh, uh, I think about it. Like, definitely, it's um, it builds upon that foundation of Age Two, which is just it's such a hard legacy to live up to. Just how beloved Age of Empires Two is, and Four expands upon it. It like takes what is familiar. Like, um, I'm definitely like it feels comfortable to play that game after playing Age Two a lot. But there's more there and the civilizations are so different that learning them is it feels more meaningful it's not like okay like oh the in h2 the britons uh harvest their sheep a little bit faster so you could like move around more like maybe that changes like the one villager in your initial build order like no there's substantial differences in all the civs here that make really different play styles and that's that is a uh, very enjoyable too um i think h4 is it's it's neat. It's really neat. I can't wait to keep playing it, and I I'm very curious to see um how the competitive scene takes it. I'm very excited to see what the competitive scene does with this game, because uh, it's mm-hmm. it's really uh really interesting. And uh, yeah, you know, congrats to everybody on a successful launch. It was uh really really. Hey, get, congrats to you, Tony. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I I it's a damn it's a damn good game. It is a damn good game, and a lot of people put a lot of time and effort and hard work into this, and it's um it really does show too. Uh, so uh you know thanks for all the support from from everybody saying you know super nice things about um about the game out there. Um, I hope everyone enjoys it. Um, speaking of enjoying stuff, Jake, what have you been enjoying lately in terms of video games? Well, I've been playing a couple things. I've been I haven't finished Metroid Dread yet, so I'm gonna hold off on talking about that too much. If I do end up talking about it after I beat mm-hmm. it, um, still liking it, still cool, like where the story's going. Uh, but what I have been spending most of my free time playing, so um, uncharacteristically, listener, I'm gonna start talking about Smash Ultimate. What? So, <laughs> is your name Tony now? Are we Bizarro World? So, I'm talking about Age of Empires. You're talking about Smash Brothers. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> it's yeah. Well, oh no, we Halloween switched bodies. Yeah, we're, it's a Freaky Friday happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, but uh, I had been playing in uh, League Trolley uh, a few times here and there, and um, have been you know still getting my my butt kicked, but not as profoundly. And um, from that, I've just been trying to. So I like to play Smash a lot, just like versus the computer. Like I'll play at level nines. Like it's fun. It's low stakes for me because I get like ladder anxiety. I get even if it's just like completely anonymized like one-on-one stuff like in smash ultimate like i get really bad anxiety when i play versus other people um but i've also just wanted to do better in the game in league trolley and that comes with having like practice so i've been playing a lot on on the ladder i might get my pikachu slowly up there i think i'm uh approaching uh four million gsp is the point Okay, okay um but I I wanted like so you've have you gotten characters to you've gotten characters yeah, to Elite Smash I, for I sure. I have several characters in Elite Smash. So like um the threshold at this point I think is like a little over eight million, I wanna say. So you're about halfway there. Um okay. that sounds like a lot, but really Yeah, if, yeah. If you, if, <laughs> if you can start chaining wins together, uh you'll make points up really quick. Like it at least in my experience, it feels like uh, you'll gain points really quickly until you get within about a million or so points of elite, and then it can be challenging. Whereas, like, you have to string together like five wins to like get mm-hmm. into elite, and then once you're in elite, if you lose even a single match, you lose a lot of points and can get kicked out of elite again. Um, oh, shit. So it's it's tough. It, it's really it's really tough. Like for me. I have since I have like a, a really good community that I can get quality arena matches in all the time. Yeah, I go into a quick play. I will get a character into elite and then stop playing with them uh, in that <laughs> area because I just like I want to know I can get them there. Playing in elite can be really fun. You'll get really good matches sometimes, but like you, I get that uh, ladder anxiety, especially you know. I have gone in and out of elite with Kirby several, several times. And it's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I know I'm very good with that character. You know, I know I'm in like the top X percent, you know, with that character. But then when I get knocked out because of like some shitty lag or like, you know, a really trolly uh, like uh, Steve player or hero player or something like that, like mm-hmm. that, yeah. that boils my blood, <laughs> especially. Oh, it's so fucking frustrating is, to lose to somebody who, you know, is like not as bat worse than yeah, you, yeah. especially when it's like <gasps> lag based or like something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't mind losing in the game. Like if I get beat legitimately, like I, it's great. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's awesome. Like let's, let's play again. Like that. Um, that's usually my reaction, but man, when it's like when you couple online having a you know, I, I don't know how many frames it is, but like there is a a ton of buffer in there where you just can't react as fast as you could mm-hmm. like, uh, offline. So you add that on top of you know just people sometimes just being shitty, you know? And, like... Right? You know, in a game with no chat, people can be surprisingly shitty. Yeah, like, it's like, oh, I'm just gonna, like, teabag over and over and over again. And it's <sighs> like, what are we even doing? Like, who who mm-hmm. are you? You know, but, I mean, I guess every game has that shit. So, whatever. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, you know, 
I'm glad that you're you're taking it a little bit more seriously, quote unquote, and like trying to get better mm-hmm. because you are getting better, like a hundred percent. Like I I think the last League Trolley event you played in, like you did really well. I, I remember commenting on you beating a couple of people that I was like kind of shocked on. You're getting your you're mm-hmm. getting your Pikachu Nair loops down, like, and that's practice. Once you yeah, once you get the um, execution of that down, then you'll start to figure out okay. How can I set this up? Because I can do the loop now. So you'll start to figure out, you know, the little stray hit you'll get every once in a while that, like, you weren't planning. You'll start to figure out how to convert that into more damage and, like, you know, figuring out some of that more advanced stuff to, like, press advantages when, you, when you're when you supposed to. Um, that's the fun part of the game, man. That's the... Oof. I got to work on my my kill confirms that's the hardest thing for me with pikachu yeah i think pikachu i don't know much about playing pikachu he's never really like appealed to me too much but i think Mm -hmm. like many fast characters um he has like a preferred range of damage to get your like your opponent to that has like easier confirms and let's say once an opponent gets to like 130 damage 150 damage whatever they might start falling out of those confirms and then it's hard, really hard to kill people. So like, I like I would recommend if you want to like take that next step, start looking that stuff up. What are your t- kill confirms and what percentages are you looking for? Because a lot of times, even learning one simple kill confirm out of a grab, like that's something that when you grab, that is your opportunity to do whatever you want. You control that situation. So if you know mm-hmm. at a hundred percent, you can grab. And then do like two moves back to back. That's like a confirmed kill. That's awesome. You know, now, you know, when you see that percentage, like you'll get a kill if you can fish that mm-hmm. out, you know, um, but dude, smash is great. It's nice when I play with people who don't DI too much. Cause, uh, at like for like 90 to like 110% on most characters up throw with no DI is an auto kill with, uh, the thunder. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, we all be DI bro. Right. Yeah. Uh, fast fall neutral air into up smash kills a lot too. Yeah. Depends on how quick they react. I think I don't know if there's like a way to make it true. Um, we'll see. I still don't know what like f- advantage frames means necessarily. Like I'm kind of like I get like landing la- lag or like hit stun and like other kind of fighting game terms like that. But there's just stuff that's like that like next level deeper that like um, yeah. I'm not looking at hit boxes online and stuff like that. Like hit boxes um, that I feel like that's sometimes really helpful, but not super duper helpful at your level. But like looking at like frame data, mm-hmm. like in terms of like advantage, like, oh, this is like negative seven on shield or something like that, you know, like learning what that means and like what mm-hmm. um that like starts to you start to figure out how you can press your advantage uh easily like you'll see kirby do a move and be like oh i know that move has like it takes this amount of frames so i want to hit i i like i know that i can like block and react with this move because i've looked at frame data and it comes out on frame five kirby has nothing to mm-hmm. deal with something you know, coming out of that move that quickly, you know, like that's when you start to really like do a little bit more math and like, uh, and recognize patterns and recognize like where opportunities at and then how to best, you know, press those advantages. Like I was saying, like that's that next step deeper yeah. where, you, where you do need to like study a little bit more. Um, 
you can learn some of that just from like playing the game for a really long time but like a way to learn that stuff quickly is that just looking at frame data really just looking at it and see like what's your fastest options in like any given uh, situation like out of shield what's your fastest option so you can always punish out of shield effectively you know i don't know how you do this with like all fighting games it's exhausting yeah, it's, well i don't i don't do this with all fighting games i i enjoy uh i enjoy fighting games that like their ground basic me- like, they're levels. so they're so tiring I, there's a lot there but like i am not an expert at any fighting game except for maybe smash brothers you know like i mm-hmm. pl- i've played a lot of street fighter in my day i've played a lot of like a lot of other 2d fighters and some 3d fighters but like i couldn't spout off any sort of uh meaningful stuff maybe a little bit about street fighter but really not that much um fighting games are just like fun at a basic level for me but that deepness that's there it's so good it's so good once you like understand the vocabulary oh it's amazing (laughs) so good (laughs) but yeah that's that's pretty much what i've been doing uh stay tuned i'll I'll have a bit more to talk about on the next episode i'm sure but um yeah, should we should we uh, walk into this next game? Oh, you know what, Jake? That's a really uh, fantastic segue again. Uh, so yeah, let's <laughs> let's take a walk real quick. We'll take a walk to our first break, and then when we walk back, we'll climb into the treehouse and talk about what remains of Edith Finch. And hey, I like that spooky game. <laughs> we're back hey i like that spooky game uh today we're gonna talk about what remains of edith finch uh this game uh came out in 2017 so fairly recent uh it's a kind of like a adventure game more like a walking simulator if, if you want to be like uh ac- really accurate in terms of what the uh, genre is uh, developed by giant sparrow and published by Annapurna interactive. So, you know, it's got some, uh, some chops there, you know, Annapurna, uh, they make some damn good films um, and video games. Mm-hmm. It also, <laughs> it takes place in the state of Washington, which I, uh, I think is great on uh, Orcas Island, uh, you know, a real spot. It definitely has those like Pacific Northwest vibes, like throughout. This oh whole yeah. Thing, uh, for sure. But anyways, like the, the main idea, like the the main thing of this game, is you are a uh, young woman who has inherited uh, the family house that she, like she grew up in. Um, lots of tragedy happens within this family, and a lot of those memories are held within this house. Um, but yeah, it's basically a walking simulator focused on this you know seemingly cursed family broken up by uh, interesting one-off moments of gameplay. Uh, that happened as they like yeah, kind of tell the story of this tortured family. Um, yeah, Jake, you had never played this game before. Um, no, had no. You... This is uh, one I had heard of. Okay, so you had heard of it before, but just never played it. Like you're not into this genre of game usually, right? Like this isn't your like cup of tea. I don't. So you 
often seek things out. Like you are much more open to trying new games on a whim um, and kind of like getting deeper into the like catalog of things like investigate like more indie games or like more experimental releases like this. Um, So it's not that I dislike the genre necessarily. It's just, I don't, I don't really like dig into deep catalogs the same way that you Mm do. So like, that's another like nice thing about like one, the podcast and two, just like knowing you as a person is like, I get, I like see new games like that. Like, uh, like games like like Towerfall Mm -hmm. that it's are are great. Like I could get myself uh, wizards of legend. Like you, you showed me like a lot of really cool, cool games. Mm -hmm. Um, thank you. Yeah. I, (laughs) <laughs> um i would i would i would classify this as like i don't know maybe it's almost like an interactive novel yeah more than anything else yeah. um because there's there's no real puzzle solving no it's everything is uh just laid out for you already and there's like a little bit of i guess you could call it backtracking but once you kind of once you find the path of the game it's going to lead you everywhere pretty sequentially yeah this isn't a game about like sequence breaking or or you know mm-hmm. um th- it's not like resident evil like puzzle box mansion yeah none of that none of that no this is um the director's the creator of this game a team behind this game uh, had a vision for what they wanted to show you, and it kind of plays out in a specific way. There is some a little tiny bit of branching that I think you can do in terms of like which stories you see in a specific order, or you can miss mm-hmm. stuff. You can walk by stuff without getting you know additional prompts or anything like that. Like you can miss quote unquote miss things in this game, but it's mostly a story A to B to C and it just kind of walks you along that kind of like a movie. It's like an interactive movie. If anything, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, not less a video game, more just like a interesting interactive narrative, you know? Right. The, the makers had a story they wanted to show you and they had a way they wanted to show it to you and yeah for the most part you're gonna get it in that order and it's not gonna like break anything or like change how the game plays out if something's done like a little bit out of order accidentally right right and uh kind of what this game is like i said you are a young woman inherited this house you the game is through this Oh, as always, full spoilers, too. Oh, yeah, Um, Yeah, all spoilers, And But this is a very short game. Uh, It's, like, two Mm -hmm. hours, two and a half hours, maybe. Uh, So, like, I'm not worried about spoiling anything here. Just just, just go play play it yourself and see. Um, But it's uh, the majority of the game is played in the first person uh, with our main character, uh, Edith, um, as she walks to this house you know as she explores the house she grew up in that has quite the history to it um and you experience uh basically the history of the house and the family by exploring Mm -hmm. it uh each character for the most part or each family member uh has their own kind of small gameplay sequence some are more complicated uh or more robust than others, but they're all unique. Uh, 
every single one of them is like here's like almost a completely different art style they usually don't share any mechanics it's kind of um this interesting uh coalescence of like narrative design and interaction to like tell a story uh all interconnected under this you know finch family name i guess uh Mm -hmm. so really uh like you said it's it's a walking simulator and as you're walking through this home uh text will appear on the screen it'll like float into your view uh with the young girl narrating you know the experience to you which adds like a really cool like one auditory wise it's like it's a very good um it's a good experience that you know it's it's read well the sound effects are really good all of that but then it also has that visual component of uh the words coming on the screen and oftentimes uh they will move around or will lead your eye across the screen Mm -hmm. so you're looking at the right parts of the house or like um you frame yourself correctly to have like the most effective kind of scenes um Right, like this is the path that we want to walk you down. So, like the text is going to guide you that way. Um, there's a few points where, in more like actual gameplay sections, they'll like have the subtitles like preemptively floating around, yeah. like an item you need to hit. Um, I think the cool the cool one is uh, when you're flying the kite, yeah, and yeah, you yeah. like absorb the subtitles. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's Gus. That's uh, <gasps> Gus's story. Uh, yeah, that one's that one's really neat. That was really neat uh it's uh yeah each individual like story is is really interesting um and usually very sad uh this game i wouldn't Mm -hmm. say this game is a horror game um but it is very emotional and it is like spooky and halloweeny it's about a cursed family about like a family yeah a family that for like a hundred years has had unspeakable tragedy happen to them over and over and over again. Um, and how do you deal with that? How does that affect people? You know, um, it's really, it's a very touching game. It's a very touching game. Mm-hmm. I think I cried three times during this game. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Wow. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like some of the, some of the imagery is like really powerful for me. Like, um, mm-hmm. Sam, like the, uh, the, uh, the one where like Sam is Edith, your main character's mom, um, Dawn, that's her dad. And like that one plays out where you're taking pictures and Sam likes to mm-hmm. take pictures yeah. of his family and uh, like the things he does. And he's like a really intense guy. Uh, and the story that plays out there is uh, Dawn as a young girl went hunting with her father, who is like super into hunting and wants to share this hobby with her daughter or uh, with his daughter. Um, she's a little hesitant about it and, and shoots this deer and is very sad about, you know, what just happened uh, while he's like really excited again, sharing this hobby with his, his daughter. And it kind of um, finishes with him setting up the camera to take a picture of them together because all, all the pictures you take leading up to that moment are you know he's behind the camera taking pictures of his daughter like he doesn't like being the center of the pictures he wants to take everybody Mm -hmm. else's but then the one time that he does get into frame the deer kicks back to life and knocks him off this cliff and kills him in front of his daughter like that's so sad and like 
mm-hmm. in the way that it um, tells that story is is very unique and, and very um, powerful, very powerful, um, in my opinion. That that one definitely made me tear up a little bit. Um, it's uh, the the vignettes really get under your skin mm-hmm. because. You, you know you know the family's cursed and you or metaphorically literally doesn't really matter yeah. um once you like really realize like okay like this is like they're all having like terrible accidents and and dying too young and like you kind of understand that and you like you're playing for the most part like those moments of each of the the finches and you're controlling them through this moment and like you know what it's going to lead to and like you know what the game is telling you to do because it always makes it clear but like you also know that that's gonna lead to the death of this character that you're inhabiting at this moment and it's a very it's very effective i I don't want to say it like made me uncomfortable because i like i you know i played this all in one sitting i i you know was compelled playing through it but it just it, it feels I don't know. It just it feels eerie being in that in that situation, and I think that's where this kind of gets the the feel of maybe being like spooky. Yeah, because it, it, there's like thing like it alludes to a curse, alludes to like monstrousness, and and stuff like that. So like it, I kept like expecting like a jump scare or something like that throughout this entire game because it has that feel to it yeah. of like something overtly spooky is going to happen, but like it's always just under the surface. Yeah. And it's and it's like a story of grief too, you know. Like I was saying, like mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. this family has gone through so much. I mean, the the very first vignette that it starts with is Molly, who's like a young girl, who, um, she she was hungry and she got up and wanted to go, like needed a snack or something. Uh, Mom said, no, 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 go to bed being a young curious girl and it being around the holidays like they that they kind of showed she ate like it almost looked like berry from like a holly tree or something like that like these berries Mm -hmm. that you're not supposed to eat and she ate them and the rest of the the vignette is like you know she's seeing herself as a cat she's seeing herself as an owl a shark this monster that is like grabbing and eating people um and it's it's really like creepy and stuff, but then like all of a sudden it snaps like back too, and then Molly's there, um, and like you kind of find out that like she ate these berries which like poisoned her, and she started to have hallucinations, and and died because of the the berries that she ate just because she's like a curious little girl and she was hungry, you know, like that's like mm-hmm. a super misfortunate accident that happens, and that it that like. Same thing with Gregory, which was like the little baby, um, uh, the the mm-hmm. bathtub scene. It's like uh, these like un- unfortunate accidents that just happen to this family and like just like you know rip people apart. You know, like it, it's very sad in a lot of ways. Um, I do I do want to talk about that that Gregory scene. Uh, that one was mm-hmm. also there, there's I think there's like three or four standout moments in this game or like um narrative arcs uh some of them are better than others but there's like three or four that i think are really good sam uh the one i talked about before with the pictures and the deer Mm -hmm. um i think uh 
Gregory, the one I'm going to talk about right now, is is really good. Um, so Gregory is a baby, one years old. Um, the every one of these scenes, like the way it starts, is you're as you explore the house and you're going through these like really interesting uh, shortcuts and secret passages and stuff. So how you can like move throughout the house. Um, every one of these scenes starts with like a specific item or something that you'll pick up and you'll find like a letter from, you know, either that particular person or somebody writing a letter about that person or, you know, something like this. And Gregory's uh, starts with divorce papers in a crib. And it's um, so it's like, huh, that's 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 a little odd. Then that transitions you to the first person perspective of Gregory as he's taking a bath and he's like kind of floating around the water. He has these little uh, baby toys that he's like playing with like a little frog and some rubber duckies and stuff. And the voiceover that's happening during the scene, I think it's Sam, uh, the, the baby's father. And he's talking about Gregory being like so happy and full of an imagination and how much, how, how he so wishes he could like see the world through Gregory's eyes. Cause it just seems like it's like such a wonderful place um, because of his mm-hmm. imagination and you know, and in that scene, you're playing in the bathtub with these toys. Uh, the mom Dawn comes like kind of back and forth uh, to the tub, trying to like you know take care of the baby. But the phone keeps ringing. You overhear those conversations and yelling about her divorce. She's speaking to her ex husband, and it's a you know it doesn't seem like it's a it's going very well. And she's yeah. she's distracted by that. Um, while that's happening, you know, a fantastical scene is kind of playing out in front of you. You're controlling this little frog jumping around. You're seeing like, you know, uh, toys fall into the bath and like all this other like little physics-y stuff. But, you know, ultimately what happens is over the course of this, the water turns on and the baby drowns. Uh, and that kind of plays out, uh, very like symbolically uh, in, through gameplay. But I mean, that's, that's what happens there. And it's again, one of these like really unfortunate accidents, you know, it's just a freak accident. Uh, just like, yeah. And like uh, the thing about that one specifically is I think it would be cause like you, there's like the kid death in this game. Yeah. And I think it's really easy to make that super like, tacky or kind of like rub your face into it like to try to make you should like try to evoke emotion but you you never this game never gets gruesome or anything like that it's always like cuts way before like something happens or like the death is almost like metaphorical yes um and like in this situation like that happens too and like it shows like incredible restraint while still being able to like make it hurt i guess right right that's why like i have a hard time calling it a horror game because a horror game would show you this stuff right it would show you the death and the gruesomeness but this game is not gruesome at all this game is beautiful um even when it's heavily implied a gruesome thing happens it never shows any of that it's always alluded to through like you said like metaphorical uh, visuals uh like the other scene that I think is the best scene in the game, I think it's the most powerful one, is Lewis. Uh, Lewis is your main character, Edith's like, older brother, who's kind of like mm-hmm. a pothead, washout kind of guy. Um, 
who's dealing with addiction. Um, like that is his issue is that like he has an addiction to drugs and um, he is talking to like the, the way his scene plays out basically is like it. Um, it's like a letter from his therapist talking about how he got this job at the salmon cannery, which is like foreshadowed like way earlier in the game kind of talking about all these characters are mentioned and talked about inner, they all intersect in ways cause it's all one big mm-hmm. family. But anyways, um, Gregory gets his job at the fish cannery and the gameplay that's happening on the screen is uh, your mouse, uh, your mouse is your hand. Uh, a fish will come down a conveyor belt. You pick it up uh, with the mouse. You bring it over to this like head chopper offer thing with this guillotine. Uh, you pull it over mm-hmm. there and then you throw the fish forward onto a conveyor belt. Very monotonous, easy to do task that you're doing. And, you know, over the course of this um, play session or something, uh, this, this gameplay or uh, piece uh, it's like he starts to, or the therapist starts to talk about him using his imagination and like kind of mm-hmm. losing touch with reality. And the way that they show that on screen is a, a separate little area kind of to the top left of your screen that you control with your, um, with the WASD on the, on the, um, uh, mouse keyboard, but you're you're navigating a very simple maze while you're still doing the fish, you know, cannery stuff. And yeah, over the course of this this uh, section, that uh, fantasy area, his imagination starts to change. It becomes more sharp, more complex. It starts to grow, taking over bigger and bigger portions of the screen. Uh, it's while still making you do kind of both activities at once showing that, you know, you have your real world and your imagination kind of happening all at once. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the VO talks about how he's like you know, disassociating and not talking to people anymore. And he's just in his own little world. that's kind of taken over because in that world, that's where Lewis is awesome. That's where Lewis is the King. That's where he has all mm-hmm. these friends and all this other stuff. And in his real life, he's working in this, cannery and you know he's dealing with his uh trying to be sober um it's like i was saying before it's this perfect interaction of narrative design um it's just it's just such a like a beautiful beautiful moment and it and it ends with him becoming completely detached from reality now you're first person walking through the fantasy world that he created and, you know, as the queen or, you know, whatever character is putting the crown on your head, that's a guillotine. So it's heavily implied that he just cuts his own head off or he, you know, kills himself in some grotesque way at the at the factory. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just really it's really, really powerful. It's really, really powerful and um interesting how over the course of that section you can see the character becoming more detached from reality through the visuals they throw on the screen and the changes in the gameplay that happens it's right as you yourself are also becoming more detached from reality yeah 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 yeah. 
that's that's all yeah that's very much the standout section to me uh as well just the way it interacts at and the way it like keeps that tension up because like this is one of the later ones you know what's gonna happen to him at the end of this story yeah. and like as like every single time like you're mm, you're bringing the fish over grab chop throw grab chop throw and like like it's like something gonna happen like you can like put your hand in too far one time uh and like and like as the screen gets like more and more taken up by this fantasy game as it becomes more and more elaborate and demands more of your attention like you're still you're still doing that and the game like reminds you of that because there are a few moments like in the fantasy that you need to like chop a fish's head off to proceed through it yeah yeah um yeah it's super strong it it tells you about this character through the environment and through being him and like seeing this moment which is just a microcosm of what he was going through at that time yeah and like the other reason why i think it's like so powerful too is like like you said it's a, it's a one of the last um sections of the game and you know over the course of this game uh your pause menu is this family tree it's like a like drawn mm-hmm. out family tree and after you experience each one of these narrative you know cycles or whatever you want to call them um their image will fill in on the family tree and lewis is the one that's like closest to edith you know you as the main character so it's it's tough it's tough for her to learn this stuff because part of the conceit of this game is that Edith doesn't know any of these stories. Her mom has like kept, mm-hmm. kept all of this family craziness away from her as much as possible. You know, like she know she knew her brother died, but she probably didn't know how that happened or, or maybe she didn't know the full, you know, scope of stuff. Um, it's, uh, it's fascinating, man. It's, it's a fascinating game. Um, Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I think really the only other standout one for me, I mean, I like the Calvin swing one. That one's like really simple uh, where you like swing yeah. yourself over. And I thought that was really um, visually stunning, um, mm-hmm. simple thing. But I, I really like the Walter segment as well, which uh, that's the one where he's like shut in the basement for like 30 years because he, he was having a really hard time dealing with, his nieces and nephews dying in such horrific ways. Um, mm-hmm. So he shut himself off from the world and the gameplay loop is him opening a can of peaches every day. You can kind of see the days tick by on this calendar to, uh, on the left-hand side of the screen. And at one point he's like, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm going to, I want to see the world. I want like, I want a day that's different than every other's. Like I'm, I'm done of playing it safe. Um, and then he gets hit by a train as he's like staring up at like a beautiful sunrise. And, it, and mm-hmm. it's like, well, bro, you're sitting on chain tracks. Like, come on, man. <laughs> like, and you, you probably heard that train coming, but like, it's, it's like, it's a very powerful, it's a powerful moment that they like convey there. I, I, I really like that, that one too. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing I would say about the game in general is just uh, the, detail of the world is uh very good it's uh populated by a lot of clutter that makes the house definitely seem lived in lived in in like a very like heavy personal way and uh the individual rooms uh 
really help uh, encapsulate the the people who are there that gives context to the story that you read and you play out for them um so just like the the design of the house of the environment around it super duper great yeah yeah I, the the house is so it like nails that pacific northwest vibe too because it's always like super gloomy they're right on like the seaside um it's great it's it's uh and the house is very like susian too you know like it's yeah it doesn't make sense <laughs> so like like they try to tell the like kind of some of the history of this house and this family by like they came from Norway and they originally built this house in one one section of the island, but it it literally got it like sunk the the house like sunk into like the the ocean. And you can kind of see some of the mm-hmm. remains off the coast from the house, but this house is like a rebuild of a rebuild, and they keep adding to it. It's almost like they're adding floors, but they're like just like kind of dropping sections of a house like on top of it. And somehow it's all fit together with kind of like trees growing through it. Like it has kind of a mm-hmm. a treehouse vibe um, in some of the later sections uh, that makes it feel a lot more fantastical than the early parts of the uh, the game. But uh, yeah, that house is super cool. It looks so cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a cool place to spend the spend the game. Yeah, a hundred percent. I don't have much else to say about this game. I mean, like we we've no, it's, it's great. It's tough to talk about, um, in that it's not like other other games, uh, for sure. It's a, it's a narrative experience, uh, mechanically. It's kind of straightforward to to describe, even though it does like do new interesting stuff along the way. So yeah, I, like other than like talking about the story and like the environment you're in, there's not like a bunch more to discuss about it uh which makes it like you know different than what we normally normally address on the show yeah, right yeah uh well jake what would it what would you rate this game then like what, what how do you how do you feel about what remains of edith finch i this 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 struck me very well um it's mechanically not as you know I guess like it's not really like a fun game but that's not bad it's not trying to be a fun game and it's trying to be an emotional experience that is um embellished by you playing through it that lets you connect with this story more and it uses the medium of video game well for that in doing what it wants to do and what it wants to set out to be and it's not trying to be fun necessarily it's trying to be effective and it does that and i was affected by it in in how it used the medium and because of that it's you know super cool and i like it and hey i like that game hell yeah uh hey i like this game as well i think um i think you're you're right um that this game it's like you could you could almost you almost can't call it a game because like the game parts of it are so simple and straightforward. It's just, it's a narrative device. It's like watching a movie. I like when, when I first told you to, to that we we're going to play this game, I said, play it in one sitting. I, mm-hmm. I cannot see playing this game in chunks. 
Um, you absolutely need to play it one go. It it took me uh like to scooch over two hours. Yeah, it is. It's it's like it's it's the length of a movie. Set some time think, aside to do it if you're gonna play it, and I recommend you play yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Like think of it like a movie. Like if you're gonna sit down and watch a two and a half hour, like if you're gonna go watch Dune for a second time, uh, play What Remains of Edith Finch instead. Uh, it's on like everything. I think it's on like last gen consoles and this. I don't know if it's on this gen, but it may be able to play back compat. It's on Steam. It's on Game Pass, uh, so you can even play it for free if you have that uh, service. It's it is a delight. This is a game that's so well crafted uh, and so effective in what it's setting out to do. Uh, it it's one of those games I I have to recommend it to like anybody who would be willing to play it. You know, uh, I I think this game is great. Hey, I like that game, Jake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too, too. And this isn't like some like pretentious like video games art sort of thing. Like every video game is art. Every single one that was ever made. Like this one, it just like is cool and it does the experience different. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I like it for that. Hell yeah. Mo's death. Well, Jake, I think that about does it for this episode. We've got a bunch of yeah. we got a bunch of stuff coming up here. Uh, this is is a big week. We're a week away from the hey like that game second 24-hour charity stream november 6 noon eastern time to november 7th also noon eastern time set your calendar have some coffee because we expect you all to be there for the entire time i mean we're gonna be live all day i think we're gonna be playing like seven or eight different games uh we're gonna have opportunities to be to play with us we'll have opportunities for you guys to donate towards a lot of really cool giveaways and prizes. Uh, Jake is going to probably cut his his hair into something wacky and then color it something wacky. I'm going to get pelted with a bunch of water balloons, it's looking like. Uh, this is going to be a great time. A lot of fun. So come check it out. Twitch that, hey, I like that game. Slash donate all your money. To... <laughs> yeah, that's that will take you exactly there. I think to the donation page where it's gonna have a checkbox that says "All your money to Nami." I still have to buy the domain, so uh... <laughs> yeah, right. Don't go there yet. <laughs> Give it a second. Uh, but yeah, uh, come join us on November sixth. Uh, it should be a great time, uh, and that is also where you can see us playing. The next game for Hey, I Like That Game, which, Jake, do you know what that's going to be? Uh, yeah, we're gonna we're getting in the mood. The Halo Infinite is just coming up in not too long here. And we want to play one of Tony's, not one of, actually Tony's favorite Halo game. This, we're going to play Halo Reach. This is my favorite Halo for sure. Uh, 100%. And I figure, like you said, Jake... We are getting close to Halo Infinite release time. We've got a little over a month. So why not play uh, the Halo game that is my favorite and the one that seems to be most heavily inspired uh, for our newest iteration of Halo. So we will be playing Mm -hmm. uh, Halo Reach during our 24-hour charity stream starting that campaign up. We may finish it. Not sure. uh, But for I think for the first time ever, we're going to have two guests so uh, we're going to have a party of four. Uh, I, uh, Tony, Jake, you, and uh, two of our friends, former 
uh, guest friend of the show, Nate, will be joining us. And future friend of the show, Fantasia, will be joining us on that playthrough. Uh, it should be a ton of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. So excited. I have not played Reach since it came out. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, I played the campaign. Oh, I mean, you and I have played some of the uh, multiplayer mm-hmm. on Master Chief, but yeah. uh, I have not played the campaign since since my initial playthrough. Yeah. So, so what we'll end up doing for for the episode is you know playing the campaign and, and speaking you know mostly to that. I figure we play some multiplayer together uh, as oh, well, yeah. but like um, you know we'll mostly stick to like campaign stuff uh, and kind of our past experiences with it i know i played this game a ton and i know that uh fantasia and nate have both played it you know a lot so we'll we'll have a lot to say about uh the game in general so that should be a fun one that should be a fun one. yes yes well yeah and then um so you can see us there at uh, twitch twitch.tv slash hey i like that game you can also send us emails at hey i like that game at gmail.com you can tweet at like that game on twitter.com and then, um, oh, we do a Facebook too. We got a, oh, we have a meta. Excuse oh, me. Yeah. Pardon me, Mr. Zuckerberg. <laughs> Just search, uh, hey, like that game podcast. And yeah, that's the, that's how you, that's how you get in contact with us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we, I don't think we, uh, talk how much about how we appreciate, uh, the folks that listen. So yeah, we appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening. Um, yeah. And thank you, Jake. For being such a great co-host, huh? Oh, thanks, Tony. You're a great co-host too. This is always fun. God, this is really now. This is truly the hey, I, uh, hey, I like that spooky game because we're actually like being nice to each other. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this this Freaky Friday situation has really gotten to us. Now that we've seen each other's perspective, <laughs> we understand each other just that much deeper. Yeah. Ah, uh, that was the moral of this episode of the podcast. <laughs> I will say, I wish we could go back to the Freaky Friday situation because I missed having that thick ass beard. Oh my god. Mm, well, yeah, you guys get to do whatever you want with it if you donate uh during the charity stream. True. Uh beard is for sure happening. Hair dying and hair cutting is almost for sure happening too. Yes. Uh so I'll be doing that on stream uh or just off stream probably while Tony's doing his ring fit adventure. So when I come back on, I'll be looking funky fresh. Emphasis on the funky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's gonna be a ton of fun so uh definitely everyone check that out uh yeah and as always jake live life passionately tony love each other unconditionally and play video games thanks everybody have yourself a spooktacular rest of your day <laughs> that was the most like genuine and well-meaning spooktacular wishing i've ever heard <laughs> spooky Turn all this off. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, if you like the show, please give us a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. You know, every little bit helps. Hashtag propagate the pod.